This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. And Jesus went out and sat by the seaside. And such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, since they had no root, and they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. And now hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. That's what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecutions arise on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The Gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word. We, hear, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take that as my text this morning from, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, and then 18 through 23. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 972. Page 972, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, and beginning at verse 9. This morning I want to talk about dirt. I want to talk about dirt. Indeed, notwithstanding the fact that Jesus himself calls this the parable of the sower, it's really not the sower, even the seed that he sows that constitutes the key element within this parable. Rather, it is the dirt that gives the parable its ultimate meaning. And Jesus says that there's four kinds of dirt. The only question is, which kind of dirt am I? Or which kind of dirt are you? And so Matthew says that um, that same day, as he words it, Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. It's very interesting. Context helps a little bit. And if you understand a little bit about uh, information in other parts of Matthew, it's helpful. Indeed, in that last part of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, we read that Jesus had been inside the house teaching his disciples. Now he's 
gone outside the house. The location of the house is not altogether clear. It's not mentioned specifically, either here or in any of the other passages in Matthew. However, we are told that after Jesus was in Judea, and in the south, and on the Jordan River where John the Baptist baptized him, after that he headed back north into the Galilee, and he made Capernaum, the city, the town of Capernaum, which is on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. He, he, he made that his base of operations for ministry in Galilee. And so Capernaum, in fact, in one of the references, it's referred to Jesus' own town, Capernaum. It isn't clear still which particular house Jesus was staying and Jesus had the various disciples, Peter and Andrew, they lived in Capernaum. And the sons of Zebedee, John and James, they also lived in Capernaum. And so we're supposing that it was perhaps one of those houses. Whatever the case, Matthew tells us that that same day that he had been teaching in the house, he went out of the house, verse 1, and he sat beside the sea. On the seashore there, the sea, we might call it a lake, it's, it's 14 feet north and south and 7 feet, miles, 14 miles from north and south and 7 miles across east and west. I've been on it in a boat and, um, and when you're standing on one side you can't see the other. So it's, it's a sea if you like. It's a big lake. But Matthew says, and the crowds gathered to Jesus there on the shore near the shore there in Capernaum. Um, and um, there were so many people coming around that, um, and his, his disciples were fishermen, and others were fishermen too, so there were these small fishing boats. And so he got into one of the boats because there were so many people on the, on the beach there. And so they pushed him out a little bit so that he could be better seen and he could see them maybe a little better. And maybe it helped with the acoustics as well. But Matthew says that Jesus told them many things in parables. Indeed, there's several parables that are in the 13th chapter of Matthew. And um, it's the first parable that we're dealing with this morning, which begins in verse 3, where Jesus says, And a sower went out to sow. Now, when you read that, you think about maybe uh, somebody making clothes with a sewing machine. Um, but this is an ancient practice of sowing seed. Um, in fact, they didn't uh, plant the seeds, they prepared the soil, and then they sowed the seeds, as they referred to it. And it was this, they would carry uh, a sack of seed and, with, and, and secure it with the left hand, most people being right-handed, and then they would grab the seed out of the bag, and they'd cast it. <laughs> and they'd cast it. They'd sow it. And so, um, Jesus says that, uh, that the farmer went out to sow his seed, casting the seed, as I've just described. And Jesus says in verse 4, that as he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured those seeds. Indeed, all along the perimeter of the field that had been, had been plowed and furrows dug with the plow, all around the perimeter there would be a, the place where people walked uh, on the dirt, where the dirt had, because people had been walking on it quite literally for centuries, had become very hard. As in fact, if you've ever been on a, on a dirt path that has been, uh, has been trafficked uh, for a long time, that, that dirt gets packed down and packed down until it's very, very hard and compacted 
and solid. And so he's saying that some of the seed that was cast fell on the path. And so laying on the surface of this hard dirt so that it was easy pickings, if you like, uh, for the birds that were looking for a quick snack. And then Jesus said, and then other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not, these seeds did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. Now in the preparing of the field, as they do all around the world, and especially in ancient times or in contexts where there's not a great deal of technology, the farmer will go out and make sure that all of the stones and all of the rocks are out of the field. In fact, if you've ever wondered where, if you go to England or Ireland and you see all of these stone, stone fences, as they call them, fences, we would call them stone walls, all those stones came out of the field. It was kind of a good deal, kind of a win-win. You get them out of your field and then you get to make a stone fence around the border of your property. But all of those stones would be taken out. However, around the perimeter again, there still would be uh, places where there was still stone that wasn't very far beneath the soil. And then maybe in some spots where there would be bedrock where you couldn't move the rock even if you wanted to. And then there would be dirt on top of that. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And so the seed that fell on this shallow dirt with rock underneath, Jesus said, would spout, sprout up quickly. Uh, more quickly than the others because, to be quite frank, they only had one direction in which to go. Because when you do plant a seed, usually the seed sends out uh, what we call roots and then sprouts and they go in different directions. But these had no room for roots and so they only grew in one direction. They sprouted up but without the necessary roots because there was no room for the roots. And so Jesus says in verse 6, And when the sun rose and shined on those sprouts, they were scorched, he says, since they had no root, they had no support system. And so they withered, Jesus said. That is to say they died. Then Jesus says in verse 7, And then other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, with the seeds that had sprouted and choked them, he says. And so these thorny weeds, if you like, also again around the perimeter, there wouldn't have been any in the middle of his field. He got rid of all of that, the farmer did, and plowed it out and prepared it for his seed. But around the perimeter, there would have been thorny weeds um, and growing thick, as they customarily do, and that was strong root systems. And so some of the seed fell around these thick weeds with these strong root systems. And Jesus says in, in verse 7, And when, the, when those, those seeds fell among the thorns, the thorns grew up and choked them. That is to say that the, that the dirt with, with the thorny weeds crowded out the sprouts and killed them and kept them from growing to maturity. But then Jesus says in verse 8, but other seeds, and he saves the best for last. In fact, this is the point of the parable. It is the climax of the parable. Other seed fell on good soil because you've got the path and you've got the rocky soil and you've got the thorny soil and none of those are good if what you're doing is planting seed for a harvest to come. And then seed fell on the good soil, the good dirt, <laughs> 
and produced grain. Maybe it was milo, maybe it was uh, barley, maybe it was wheat, whatever. Lots of grain being sown in Palestine. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And then Jesus ends with this exhortation, which is somewhat of a left-handed warning, actually. And he says, and let him who has ears hear. That is, listen. In fact, it's an imperative, it's a command. Listen. And understand, that's what he's saying. And the implication is, and do what you need to do. And so that's the parable itself. But then in verses 18 through 23, Jesus explains the meaning of the parable. Notice verse 18. And he says, and then so hear the parable. In other words, understand it. The parable of the sower. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word, because this is the point of the parable, it is an illustration, if you like. It's the presenting of something that people understand and is familiar to them, and the, 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 the sea, sowing of seed, and the thorny soil, and the rock soil, and the path, and, and the, good, the good dirt, all of that would have been very, very familiar to them. To the people who were listening there, standing on the shore while Jesus was sitting in the boat in the traditional posture of a rabbi. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. And this, what was, this is what was sown along the path. And so the seed is the word of God and the, the sower is the evangelist. And Jesus says that the hard dirt person, if you like, the person that's illustrated and meant by the path all around the perimeter of the field, this is the one who doesn't get it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't penetrate. It lays on the surface. The dirt is hard. The seed doesn't sink in. And then Jesus says, and it, so it lies on the surface, and the, like the birds, the evil one. Well, we know what Matthew means when he says that. In fact, Luke and Matthew are a little bit more clear. Luke says it's the devil, and Mark says it's Satan who comes and snatches the word away. And it's easy to reach, because there it is, lying on the hard dirt. And then Jesus continues and says, um, and as for... What was sown on the rocky ground. This is the one. Notice, see what he's saying. He's saying, these dirts <laughs> represent people. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself. But endures for a while. But when tribulation and perse persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so the dirt on the rock isn't hard like the footpath, but it's shallow. And so when this person hears the word, he or she receives it, maybe, and believes it with joy, like, this is great news. <sighs> but his or her faith has no depth. 
and Nerut. And so when the faith that they believe they have and perhaps others believe they have is tried and tested. In fact, your, your test, your faith, I, I don't know if you'd want to jump to any conclusions about whether you had faith or not if you couldn't get through the testing of it. The test is good. It lets you really know where you stand, whether you really have faith or you don't. <laughs> but when this faith that they believe they have, and perhaps others also believe that they have it, when it's tried and tested, they fall away. It's not worth it. They stop ordering their life after the Word of God. They stop believing and they stop following. In fact, what Jesus is describing here is the exact opposite of what is described by the psalmist in Psalm 119 and verse 87. The psalmist is praying to the Lord and the psalmist says this, They almost made an end of me on earth. <laughs> they almost made it. Talk about persecution. They almost made an end of me on earth. But I have not forsaken your precepts. <laughs> Life got hard and I was tempted to say, And where are you, God? You said you'd be my shepherd. I was telling somebody on this weekend, and by the way, thank you so much for praying for us um, while we were in Milwaukee. And... Um, Harley Davidson owners, by the way, from all, all around the world. So this last weekend was the 120th anniversary of Harley Davidson. It was founded in 1903. But I digress. And everywhere we went, the, 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 the writers were all speaking in foreign languages. I never knew we were in it. These people came. But anyway, but we, were, we were there because of my mother-in-law and um, her passing uh, recently. And... and um, so we had it in Milwaukee um, and because Linda's parents are both from Wisconsin and we buried Janet in the Greek section of the cemetery with all the other stathoses and so on. Um, but you know, and one other thing before I get back to the text. Um, if you have good in-laws, let them know. I was saying to somebody, and I don't think I ever said it to Ike and Janet very straightforwardly, Linda assured me that they knew how I felt. But they were the best in-laws that anyone could ever wish for. In fact, if I was to try to imagine what better in-laws would be like, I don't think I could come up with anything. They were always supportive uh, and always, they never interfered. They were just great. So if you have in-laws like that, maybe mention it to them. And if you don't, don't say anything. <laughs> But the psalmist said, they almost, almost made an end of me on earth. But I have not forsaken your precepts. And I, was, I got off on that because I was saying to somebody, you, you can't imagine uh, how many sermons I preached while I was in Milwaukee. And uh, one of them, and I mentioned Job's great words. It, chapter 13, verse 15, I think. And Job, you know, he suffered. And he said to the Lord, though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. That seed fallen on good soil. And that's what the psalmist says here. Or Jesus who famously said, Matthew, this same gospel, chapter 10, you will be hated by all for my namesake. And then he said, but the one who endures to the end shall be saved. 
But Jesus likens those who he likens as dirt on rock. He describes them as those who have no endurance. Then Jesus continues about the ones that are associated with thorns. Verse 22, and, and, as, and, 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 and for, as for what was sown among thorns, Jesus says, this is the one who hears the word with the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And so the thorny dirt, if you like, receives the seed of the word, and it seemingly begins to grow. But this person is predominantly dominated by, by worldly values and worldly concerns, and that more than the promises of the word, and is deceived, as Jesus says, by the false promises of wealth. What an interesting thing. The deceitfulness of riches, Jesus says. And so in the end, the, 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 the seed of the word sown in thorny dirt fails to produce any spiritual fruit until it finally dies. In fact, the danger of this, these worldly concerns, and we all have them, the question is whether we're dominated by them. And the deceitfulness of riches, which perhaps is a more serious problem. In fact, it's interesting, Jesus, you know, he said, you know, you can't serve God in money. Why didn't he say you can't serve God in some other problem that we might have? Because money is the, is the grand nemesis of God. It's dangerous. In fact, Paul talks about it in his letter to Timothy. And you've heard some of these phrases. If you haven't read them in the Bible, you've heard them in movies. First Timothy chapter 6, and Paul writing to Timothy said, And godliness with contentment is great gain. He continues, verse 7, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world. One of the guys I was talking to this last weekend, I guess it was on Friday after the funeral, uh, who doesn't claim to be a Christian uh, or, or a believer. I was talking to him about this. And he wholeheartedly agreed. I mean, you can't disagree with it. You bring nothing in and you take nothing out. But your character. All you take out of this life is you. All of your accomplishments, all of your stuff, it all stays behind. And when you stand before God, he won't ask you for a statement of your, of your stock portfolio. He won't ask you where you went to college. He won't ask you any of those things. He won't ask you what neighborhood you lived in or what kind of car you drive. He'll just want to talk to you about you. And so that's why it's so important why Jesus is always talking about let's, let's, let's cut through all of this and let's get to you because that's going to be the subject matter at the judgment. Not your stuff. You. And godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, he continues, fall into temptation, into a snare. You know what a snare is? It's a trap. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. If it doesn't happen in this life, it happens in the next. When God looks at you and says, depart from me because I don't know you, you will be speechless. You won't be able to give speech to the horror of that experience. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away. That's why I'm mentioning this. This is exactly the verbiage that Jesus, is you, Jesus uses. They wander away. They fall away. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves, stabbed themselves with many a pang. But, Jesus says in verse 23, as for those, or as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. <laughs> Yeah, wow, that is powerful. He hears it and understands it, or she hears it and understands it. And she indeed bears fruit and, and, and yields. That's harvest language. And yields, bears fruit. In one case, a hundredfold, in another case, sixtyfold, in another. 30. By the way, Jesus is exaggerating because fourfold on a, if you could get, if you could get four heads of grain from one seed, that was considered to be really, really good. In some cases, maybe 10, but that was unusual. So here, even 30, we might think, oh, well, only 30? I mean, that was more than 10 times an unusual situation. The point is, he's saying, is that when the seed falls in the good soil, extraordinary things happen. And this kind of, of, this kind of language that we might think is exaggerated all starts with Jesus. So when Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. It all starts here. A hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. The power of the word, it falls into that kind of dirt. And this is the central point of the parable. Namely, the bearing of spiritual fruit. Indeed, a farmer who sows his seed in order, or I should say, a farmer sows his seed in order to bear a harvest. To bring about a harvest. And seeds eaten by the birds are seeds that fall into dirt that keep the seeds from growing and maturing and bearing fruit are of no value to the farmer. Don't read too much into all of this and start to think, oh, well, it came up with joy and that that had some sort of significance. It only has significance in the sense that it looks like something good is happening. But there's no root. You see. And so seed that falls on those types of dirt are of no value to the farmer, which indeed is the point. It is, it is a harvest of fruitfulness 
that a farmer is looking for, and as with the farmer, so with God. What God is looking for in us is spiritual fruitfulness. Not just a hearing of the word. Oh, that was a good little talk or whatever. That's not the point. It's not the hearing. In fact, last week, I think, we, we talked about that. that the, the, word, the word itself is not enough. God has to do something. God has to prepare the soil. And when the soil has been prepared, fruit is born. And so it's not just the hearing. It's not just the accepting. Well, I can accept that. That's fine. Or people who believe that. I, 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 you know, I respect people that believe that. Rather, it's the embracing of the word that bears spiritual fruit. And that's what God is looking for in you and in me. And what does it look like? In fact, I won't say too much, but you can probably read between the lines. I went to bed one night and I, I felt um, I, I was grieved. I, I was grieved by my own behavior. I, if I wanted to rationalize it, I'd say, well, you know, whatever. But I was grieved by my, but the lack of patience. And the next morning, well, I was up at 5 o'clock and do my reading. That's what we do when the girls, you know, Linda and, and Victoria and me, you know, I, I go and do my thing and get out of their way. You know, it's like, <laughs> go get cleaned up and get out of the way so they can get done what we need to get, what they need to get done and so we can get on where, wherever. But I, I, wrote on a, I wrote on a piece of paper um, uh, about this patience. Um, and, I, and I said that a, a, a man who is filled with the Spirit of God the fruit of the Spirit is patience. So, Thompson, when you're being impatient, that's not the Spirit in control, that's your flesh. And the problem lies with you. Because you can't control everything around you, but you can control you. Right? So what does this fruit look like? Well, Paul described it famously in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is this. Nine flavors, but it's all, this comes, it's all the same fruit. And when the Spirit is filling you, they're all there together. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's agape love, self-sacrificing love. Not, not, not eros, which is the primary. I love you because of what you do for me. Agape is a self-sacrificing love. I love you because I'm concerned about your welfare. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. <laughs> Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, that means you're a benefit to God and others. Faithfulness, and part of that is perseverance. Gentleness, and self-control. And so Jesus says that there's four kinds of dirt. The only question is, which kind of dirt am I? And which kind of dirt are you? Dirt. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord, when you're casting the seed, Lord, I pray that it would find a welcoming field. Good soil. A heart ready to receive it. 
and receiving it, finding the fruit of the seed born in my life. Start with me. And if some are here that, like me, waver back and forth, never mind how important or valuable it is to be fruit-bearing. We, we fail, even as the Apostle Paul said, I do the very thing I don't want to do. But that's not such a bad sign, is it, Lord? Because that tells us that, that, that it's of great concern. Help us, even as we prayed the collect for today, to know what it is that you're calling us to do and the grace to accomplish it. And so may we be fields that have been plowed and readied for you, readied by you to receive your word. And may that word take root in us and bear fruit in our lives. That we might know joy unspeakable. And that you might receive glory by the way we live, whether anyone's looking or not. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.